So that's where we're going, talking about a new way of living. And um, as you, many of you know, Jill and I have our 10-month-old son, Levi. Uh, he is um, full of life, full of beans. He's crawling. He's pulling himself up. He's launching himself from the things he's pulling up into midair. And amazingly, a parent is catching him. And he thinks that then, okay, that's fine. So therefore, I'll keep doing that. Um, but he's just desperate to walk, desperate to move. So one way to kind of uh, aid that is two words, which will, many parents will know. And if you're not a parent yet, you will learn to know these words. Soft play. Two words, soft play. We take him to the soft play. He has a wild time. We be able to breathe, remember who my wife is. She remembers who I am. Have that little conversation. Soft play. And there are many soft plays around Aberdeen and Aberdeenshire. And I could probably do quite a good TripAdvisor review of the various soft plays. So if you're wondering what's a good soft play to go to, I could give you on like service, on food, on safety, health and hygiene, general fun. I'm your man. Come and speak to me at the end. Um, but there's one in particular I'm thinking of, and it's amazing. It's got three areas. One of them, it's got like a football pitch in it. It's got um, racing slides. It's got a massive slide. It's really exciting. I mean, I would just go, if I was allowed to, just, just go on it anyway. I'd, I'd take Levi just as an excuse, to be honest. So it's got that area. Then there's another area where it's a little bit smaller. And then there's a final area where it's like zero to three years old. And that is where the little ones are supposed to go where, uh, you know, it's basically just a, an area which is uh, cordoned off by soft play. There's some building blocks. That's about it. And although I would love to take Levi into the big bit, I'm I'm a stickler for the rules. I, I keep to rules. Jill's a bit more uh, rebellious, but I keep to rules as much as possible. I'm like, sorry, maybe you're not. I, I feel like you are. Compared to me? Okay, that's fine. Should have checked with my wife before sharing this story. Note to self. Um, but... I'm like, okay, we need to stick to the rules. Zero to three, Levi, you're 10 months. You're still in that category. We'll stay in there. And what shocked me was that Levi was the youngest in that area by about five years. So all these other kids are like five, six, seven years old. And they're in this area. And Levi is like trying to like stand up. And they're like running around. They're chucking these uh, building blocks around. And I was like, oh, oh, try and be that, not that parent that's like, get away from my child. But also being like, oh, I hope he's going to be all right. And to be honest, he was fine. I was a little bit traumatized by the, by the situation, but he was totally fine. Um, but I was just so shocked that, that, that they had all this opportunity. There were so many things, so many exciting things. And they decided to go just where there were building blocks. And when I think of that, the goal of the Christian life is to go from where we are, where Jesus has saved us, and mature to become more and more like him as we grow in our faith. But sometimes we can stay in this place we are and we almost outgrow it without knowing it. We can stay in that place where it's zero to three, but we're too big for that place and we need to mature. We need to grow up. If we're not careful, we can be like that sometimes. We can have that opportunity to grow, but we stay where we are. And the goal of the Christian life is to go from being immature to in him mature. But how do we do that? How do we become spiritually mature? That's our question for today. And we'll see some characteristics of spiritual Christian maturity in this passage. So why don't we read Ephesians 4, 1 to 8. It'll appear on screen behind me. I'll just read that for us now. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I, that is Paul, urge you to have a, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble. And gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. 
make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. I'm just going to pray for us now. So why don't we pray? Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it sheds light on who you've called us to be. That it shows us who you are. And Lord Jesus, we just pray for this morning. Would you speak to us now? through these words in your book. Amen. Amen. So we're looking at how do we become spiritually mature. And the first way is that we're on this series of who am I? So they're all I ams. So the first I am is I am honoring. In verse one, Paul is emphasizing this change that the church is a new society, that we should live to a new standard. He says, I urge you, you can feel the, The words coming off the page of Paul is like, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And he's saying to the church in Ephesus that you have been saved. And now the world is watching you as an example of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. In the time, in the context, uh, it was like churches had exploded all across. Paul was in this incredible church planting ministry. And all these places, uh, places that never had churches before, suddenly were sprouting up. And everyone was watching, seeing, okay, how do people who follow Jesus, how do they live? And that's what Paul is saying, is that you need to grow up, you need to mature to show what it means to be a follower of Christ. And often there's that quoted challenge to Christians. Uh, I don't know who actually said it first, but so many people have said it, where they say that the only Bible some people will ever read is your life. Have you heard that before? They say that's the only Bible some people will read is who you are, what you do. And isn't that true? Isn't that true in life that sometimes the only way people are going to see Jesus is through us? And we need to own that. And in these verses, there are five uh, character traits of maturity. And for me, they all come under the category of honoring one another. Um, And um, to honor biblically, the literal translation of that is uh, to give weight to someone. To give weight to someone. So when you give weight to someone, you grant a person uh, a bit of authority in your life to say, okay, I honor you. I want to give weight to you. I want to show you that I respect you. You allow them to speak into your life. It's like we're saying, I see you. I respect you. I give you time to speak into my life. And these are characteristics that should encapsulate our honoring of one another. It says in verse two, we need to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, to bear with one another, and to do it all in love. Paul is urging the church to grow in and to honor one another in this. So we are called to be people of honor. Delve deeper into these character traits. The first one, humble. When I was reading about this recently, I learned that before Jesus, there wasn't a word in the Greco-Roman vocabulary for humble. How amazing is that? 
that there wasn't a word for being humble until Jesus came along. Because in that culture, being humble, not bragging, not being better than others was seen as a weakness. Even more so than it is now. And Jesus changed that. When Jesus came on this earth, he came to the sinner. He came to the tax collector. He came to the fisherman. He came to the criminal on the cross. He came to the prostitute. And he accepted them. He wanted to be in the same room as them. And for them to be better than him. To go further than him. And we need to be humble and to honour one another. Because Jesus first honoured us. He saw each one of us. And he said, there is value in you. I accept you. I give weight to you. I want to know you. Even when he didn't need to. And we need to feel the weight of that. That we are not here because we just stumbled in. But we are here because Jesus saw us and he said, I love you. I accept you. I want to know you. I want to be with you. And we have each felt that. And that's how our attitude should be, that attitude of honour, that attitude of humility. An example of that, that would be a small group where we go into the room and we see the people in our small group. You can take two attitudes there, can't you? You can think, oh, you see the WhatsApp, small group WhatsApp, and you're like, oh, Ali's going tonight. Oh, okay, what excuse can I take so that Ali doesn't go, so I don't have to sit in the room with Ali because, you know, <laughs> You know, no one wants to be in a small group with me because it's awkward, isn't it? And they're like, oh, okay, how can I do that? How can I do that? Or we could say, Ali's going to small group. Isn't that so exciting? I get to learn from him. I get to hear his thoughts on the world. Or we could say, Brian, Brian is going to small group. Isn't that amazing? I get to sit in a room with Brian. That is so exciting. I get to hear what Brian thinks about the Bible. Or Linda, Linda's going to small group. Isn't that amazing? You're all going to go to Brian and Linda's small groups now, aren't you? Yeah. But we should do that. We should think, oh, my goodness. They're going to be in the room. I can learn from them. Oh, they're going to be in the room. I can chat to them about that. They're going to be in the room. And that changes our emphasis, doesn't it? When we have that humility that we don't think that we're better than other people, but actually that we are on a level that we get to learn to have that weight with them, then we think, wow, there are so many people in the room that I absolutely love and adore. That if I hadn't been in that small group, I would have never got to know. That's how our attitude should be. That humility, that honour, gentleness. The word here for gentle is, uh, the translation is like a wild animal being tamed, almost. So um, thinking about our words and our conversation, when we honour one another, we might have an initial gut reaction that we just have no filter, that we just share something. And that can cause problems, can't it? But if we're gentle, then we think about it, we put ourselves in their shoes, and then we say, okay, how can I honour, how can I respect them? Think about their story, think about who they are, think about the gifts and the talents that they have. Then we're going into that conversation thinking, this person's great, I have this slight issue with them, but I want to honour them, I want to grow. And um, a phrase that I always uh, remind myself of these in these situations is I say, Bambi, not Rambo. So I want to go into a, a conversation and act like Bambi rather than Rambo. I don't want to go in all guns blazing like, like John Rambo. But I want to be like, okay, let's hear the other side of the story. Let's hear where they are at. To be humble, to be gentle, to be patient with one another. I love the literal translation of this is being long-suffering towards aggravating people. Wow. <laughs> 
That's translation, isn't it? That doesn't, that doesn't mess about. That cuts to the core. And let's be really honest for a second. People can be annoying, can't we? And let's be really honest. Pastors can be really annoying, can't we? Can I get an amen? Yes. We can. And there are some people that we don't know why, if we're being honest, they just annoy us. We don't know why, but just how they act, who they are, it annoys us. And, but the flip side, the reality of that is how we are, how we act normally, someone is just going to be naturally annoyed by us. Isn't it? I don't know why my voice has gone so high there, but it's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. It's just... And to quote Mary Poppins from Mary Poppins Returns, the cover is not the book, so open it up and take a look. That's true, isn't it? We can make those gut reactions about people when really when we get to know them, when we honour them, we find out that they are actually God's creation. They are who they are called to be, and we want to encourage that. We want to foster that, not dismiss them as my, not my type of person, but to honour them in that way to be patient with them. And finally, bearing with one another in love. That bonds it all together, those characteristics. Bearing with them, standing, perseverance, all through love. Proverbs 10 says, hatred stirs up up conflict, but love covers all wrong. So to be in him mature, in Christ mature, we need to honor one another. Not just dismiss, but hear their story, their situation, their hopes, and their dreams. I love the message version of this translation. It says, uh, do this with humility and discipline, not in fits and starts, but steadily pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love, alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences. I love that. Are we steadily pouring ourselves out for one another? Are we quick at mending fences? And in the first uh, two weeks of this new term, uh, I've been doing uh, a stress test. It's for someone's university dissertation. So every uh, day, three times a day, I get this uh, on an app. I get this little notification that tells me to do this little stress test. And it's actually amazing because what I get at 10, half one and half three every working day is I get questions like this. Have you been mindful of your actions to others at work? Have you helped others at work? Have you made fun of anyone at work? Have you made someone's work more difficult? I'm like, it's like an honesty test, isn't it? How, how honest do I want to be to this app? But for us as a Christian, wanting to be a difference in the world, we need to almost be having that regular through the day thinking, have I been honoring to my brothers and sisters? Have I been gentle? Have I been patient? Have I given weight and respect to those around me? So firstly, to be in him mature, we need to be honoring. Secondly, we need to be united. Verse three, Paul says, after he's said these characteristics, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Paul knows this isn't an easy task. We need to spare no effort to make the invisible unity that we all know that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ in this church and out with, we need to make that invisible unity visible between churches and amongst all denominations. 
years ago um, when we were just one site, like one church in one place, we used to have this thing in Guilt Park called the noose and monkey test. So the noose and monkey test was that um, you had um, just across the church, 100 yards down the road, is a pub called the noose and monkey. And the test was, you go into the noose and monkey and say, oh, I'm from City Church. Just drop in casually into conversation. And the hope and the prayer was that people would be saying, oh, I've heard about that church. They do this. They do that. They do that. They do this. But almost the test for us in this moment is to go to whichever um, place in Stonehaven we want to go to, whether it be just the market square, whether it be the station or hotel, whether it be um, Ali Bally Bees in Stonehaven, go there and say, oh, I'm, I go to church in Stonehaven. And for them to be like, oh, I've heard about the church in Stonehaven. They do this, they do that. They get on really well. They get on with one another. It's really good to see, as opposed to what might happen at the moment. Be like, oh, I didn't know there was a church in Stonehaven. Or, oh, I don't know if that church gets on with that church. We want to break that. We want it to be a place where people in Stonehaven know the church is united, where we are one body going after God's kingdom, going after what he has called us to. And to follow Paul's call for the church to maintain, develop, and defend that unity, it starts with each one of us. We should be united in Christ as God himself is united with us. And through this passage, the word one appears seven times. And three of those times, it refers to each member of the Trinity. One God, one Father, one Spirit. And the other four times it references our experience of the Trinity. Our one Father, he creates one family. Our one Jesus creates one hope, one faith, one baptism. Our one Spirit, he creates one uh, body. One, one, one. Over and over and over. He emphasizes that God is united for us, that we, we should be united to glorify him. We need to be united with one another and have an opportunity every time we interact with one another to be united. I read a quote by Joyce Meyer this week that said, every word we speak can either be a brick to build or a bulldozer to destroy. Isn't that true? Our words, how we interact with one another, they can be a brick to build or a bulldozer to destroy. Let's make sure our words are full of bricks to build. And unity comes through the bond of peace. And in my own reading time, uh, reading the Bible uh, in the last few weeks, I've been reading through the Genesis account. I've been reading through the Genesis story. And I came across a story this week where um, it brings me a lot of hope because through the Genesis account, through the stories of, of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, um, they get a lot wrong. They, God's people time and again um, get it completely wrong. And that gives me hope because it's like, oh, they're God's people, they're getting it wrong. So if I get it wrong now and again, that's okay. But one in particular story I've been reading is the story of Jacob and Esau. Now, they're two brothers. Uh, Jacob, he uh, was crafty, he was cunning, and he stole Esau's birthright, and he stole his blessing. So basically all of Esau's inheritance, who was the firstborn, went to Jacob, who was the secondborn. And Esau, this is like, obviously in the culture, that is like a big deal. If you are the firstborn and you don't get that inheritance, that's a big deal. He was furious. He was raging about that. And um, Jacob uh, goes away. He flees the nation. He goes uh, back um, to make sure that uh, Jacob doesn't follow him. He, uh, Esau doesn't follow him. He marries uh, and he goes away for 20 years. 
And then through God's prompting, he decides to return home to his land and return to his brother Esau. So this divided people come back and come back to Esau. And Jacob's like, I'm really nervous about this. I don't know how he's going to accept me. Is he going to just um, want to get rid of me straight away? Um, so he sends him gifts beforehand as he's going up. He sends here some gifts, maybe kind of butter him up a little bit. He sends messengers just to make sure. Esau, are you okay with your brother Jacob coming back? Is that cool? Kind of, you know, just kind of sends them like, you know, when you're in school in the playground and you're like, oh, I'm not sure if that um, if, if that girl fancies me. So I'm going to send my mate. I'm going to ask him. It's like, do you fancy Ali? Is that a thing? He'll report back. It's a bit like that. Like, do you, are we are we cool? Is Jacob and Esau, are you cool? Not sure. He's a bit nervous about that. Um, trying to gauge that. As Esau approaches Jacob, he bows down. Jacob bows down to the ground seven times, showing complete humility. I'm like, I'm so sorry. And Esau welcomes him back to the family. He embraces him. He loves him. And they're united once more. Amazing, isn't it? And we can see those parallels as well with the prodigal son story, where when we have come back, we've come back to God. He unites with us. He embraces us. He brings us back. But that quote I want to share is Genesis 33.10, where Esau's embraced him. And then Jacob says this, For to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you have received me favorably. Isn't that an amazing quote? Who are the people in our lives that we need to receive favorably so they can see the face of God? Sometimes that's just us saying, I know we've had our differences, but let's be friends. Let's look over our differences. And actually what unites us is much more than what divides us. Unity comes through that bond of peace. We might not be aware of it, but us receiving that person, welcoming them back, means we all grow in relationship with God. United means we walk across the room, we make the effort, we make that invisible bond public and make it visible. So to be in him mature, we're honouring, we're united, and finally we're equipped. So um, being united, having unity, doesn't mean that we don't have diversity. When we say unity, we don't mean uniformity. It doesn't mean we're all the same, but actually there should be amazing, exciting diversity within the church. In verse 7, it says, each one of us, uh, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. And in the uh, verses that follow is a list of uh, spiritual gifts that Jesus, that the Holy Spirit has given each one of us. And throughout the New Testament, there are five different lists, uh, around 20 specific gifts that are listed. Some are practical, uh, like administration, like service, like hospitality. But others are more supernatural, like the gift of tongues, the gift of healing, and the gift of prophecy, which actually we've heard and we've seen, we've witnessed this morning, the gift of prophecy, which Ali and Kelly brought and was amazing. And they help, these gifts, they help the church grow uh, in reach, in unity, in diversity. And these gifts are releasing for the church into ministry, into the wider world. And the amazing, exciting thing is, is we are in a movement the vineyard churches of UK and Ireland, the vineyard movement, where we are passionate about the Holy Spirit. We are passionate about the spiritual gifts. And we have that phrase that we use, where we are passionate about the fact that everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to play. 
That means that if you know and love Jesus, then there is a gift that Jesus wants to give to you. It's a gift that is good, not for your harm, but to build you up and to build the church up. It's to strengthen us, to encourage us, and it's a good gift. It says it's a good gift that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, that is to bless, and we all have our part to play in the body. And healthy bodies grow, don't they? For a body to be healthy, for muscles to be healthy, they need to be used. They need to be flexed. They need to be used over and over again. And our spiritual gifts are like our muscles. I remember when I used to play rugby um, many years ago now, but when I used to play rugby, when I used to play at school and also out of school, um, I took it quite seriously, obviously being quite short. Uh, I needed to make sure that I was strong so that I wouldn't just get knocked over. I was a winger, but I always seemed to get my winger, my opposite number, always was the six foot four, 20 stone guy. So I was like, I need to be able to tackle him some way. So I need to make sure I go to the gym, be strong and do that. And, and so I was building up my muscles. I was building up and making sure that they were strong. And after I stopped doing rugby, I recognized that my strength was weakened. That just over that time of flexing them again and again, doing those routines again and again, I lost a bit of that strength. And that is true of us and our spiritual gifts. When we don't use them, when we put them to one side, it loses a bit of its strength, doesn't it? We want to make sure that we're a church where we use our gifts constantly, where we we're using them where we're just hearing from God and saying, God, what is it that you want me to share today? We've been equipped by God. He's lavished these gifts on us. It's our best interest to grow them, to try them out. And in small groups, on Sunday mornings, these are safe spaces for us to explore our spiritual gifts. And how we do that is we weigh them up with scripture, with the work of Jesus on the cross. And are they encouraging, strengthening, building up, do they honour, do they value the individual? And we're going to create some space now for us to, to do that. But to become in him mature, go from immature to in him mature, we honour one another. We are united and we are equipped with the gifts that God has given us and we use them. We're obedient to that. We use them. We try them out. That image at the end of uh, this passage of Ephesians 4, one, uh, Ephesians 4, 16, that was mentioned last week. It was an image of a body that was full of life, that was pumping, uh, that was fully functioning. That is the goal that we want to be. That is where, as a body, as a church, we want to be in that maturity, where we're full of life, we're pumping, we're fully functioning. So for us to play our part, for some of us, maybe that's we need to be honoring. For others, we need to be united. And for others, we need to be equipped with the gifts he's given us. Let's stand.